Hello and welcome to this special edition of One Foot in the Podcast. I'm Tom, and with me this week is somebody closely associated with One Foot in the Grave, notably for his creativity that went into Series 4 of the show. My guest is a seasoned professional in their field of television, in a creative role as production designer. He's responsible for bringing to life some of the great TV comedy shows, documentaries and talk shows over the years. Some classic highlights he's production designed on a CV include, but are certainly not limited to, Ricky Gervais' hugely successful Afterlife, The Inbetweeners, The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, Man Down, This Time with Alan Partridge, The Eleven O'Clock Show, Birds of a Feather, Game On, Fantasy Football League and the BAFTA tribute shows for the Godfathers of Comedy, Ronnie Barker and Bob Monkhouse. He's also worked on some of the nation's favourite comedian stand-up and programmes for the likes of Russell Brand, Romesh Ranganathan, Jimmy Carr and Joe Brand to name but a few. And after that long-winded introduction, please blame this on my guest's talents, it's Richard Drew. So welcome Richard, thank you very much for joining. Hello mate, how are you? I'm very good, yeah, it's, um, it's been a quite a quick turnaround getting you on this this show you you contacted me on twitter very kindly and you've shared some really interesting behind the scenes photographs from your time working on one foot in the grave yeah. uh, which is very kind of you yeah it was a, it was a weird one because um I, i'm a i'm a big fan of twitter and um <clears throat> i uh, some random person friended me not even a week ago as you said and um just scrolling through because uh, you know essentially twitter is just legalized stalking um and um i was just scrolling through you know this guy who what he what he what he posted and your podcast came up and i don't know whether it was a a retweet or a, something he commented on and um I, I i just pricked my ears out. i thought all oh, right i didn't know there was a one foot podcast and here we are not as you say not even a week later so yeah that's that's how it came about. I wasn't searching for you, Tom. I I, I, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but um, yeah, there, there is. I'm really glad because um, we've been sort of exchanging emails almost daily since, and uh, it's kept me entertained. I've spent today in the garage rummaging away with everything. This is useless to a podcast, but I'm going to show Tom because there's all. Uh, that's all. okay. So I didn't realise. I just thought it was um. So for the purpose of the uh, listeners, so you're you're. You're speaking to me now from a room, a bedroom. A room. Not, and not too similar to Patrick's. Not too uh, <laughs> And there's, yeah. on your bed is a shed load of um, designs. Yeah. And I just, I didn't, I didn't assume that was um, paper. I just yeah. thought it was a print of your quilt. And it's actually scripts. It's amazing. You've got so original scripts on the show. Original uh, rehearsal scripts still. Um, I managed to get them all signed by Richard and then I worked with Angus a number of years later and uh, Angus signed the ones that he's in. Um, I really, um, we were talking earlier but for the purpose of the podcast, um, I worked with uh, Annette Crosby uh, on Afterlife, um, uh, what was it, just over a year ago now, 18 months yeah. ago. And, um, I really should have taken them with me and I don't know why I didn't but um, we did get a chance to have a little bit of catch up and stuff. But, yes. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm I'm very proud of those actually, and I um, I, I will hang on to them forevermore. They've been oh, absolutely, sad. yeah. Don't yeah, keep... uh, yeah. I'm never 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 going to get rid of them. Um, uh, give them to my kids eventually. But um, I mean, weirdly, you know, just talking about the series that I did, ninety two. It was recorded in the beginning of ninety three. I mean, it's bloody oh, it's twenty nine 
years ago now, and that doesn't even seem possible. You must have been an absolute whippersnapper because you don't look, I would say, quote unquote old. Just going to charm the guest for a minute. You don't look, you look a young man. Yeah, I was, um, well, I started work uh, at BBC Wales uh, in 1988 because a very potted history. I went to Newport Film School in South Wales and before that, I was uh, at art college down on the south coast in Worthing, where I now live. Um, world has gone full circle. Yeah. Um, so I started, I started the BBC, BBC Wales in '88, and then I came to BBC in London in '89. So I was only three, four years into my career um, when I did one foot. Um, that okay. was, and I was fortunate enough to get in with um, you, kind of went in as a sort of they used to call us um kind of holiday relief assistants which were very long-winded title but basically you have your stuff bbc had a massive art department there was production designers and pop buyers and art directors all staff right so on salary all on pensions blah 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 um but those guys you know went and did six months sabbaticals or uh you know people had babies or people went on holiday and that was then the kind of window for uh, people getting a foot in the door because the the work workload was still there, so they needed you know people basically to prop up yeah. the art department. And that and and you know some art directors were made up to designers, staff art directors were made up to designers. So the art directing gaps were there, and you would apply and go for an interview. And I was very fortunate that I was. Um, went for a couple of interviews and then I got asked to, to first to work in BBC Wales and then I because I'd done a little bit in BBC Wales I went to BBC in London yeah um, so that's kind of really how it started the first thing I ever did in BBC in London was a thing called Tricky Business which was a kids kids tv show um, uh, six-part thing and then I went back to Wales and then I started so then I started in 90 what was that, 89, 1990, I ended up doing, uh, I can't remember what the first job was, and then I did Bergerac. So I got put straight onto a big drama, uh, you know, rattled a few feathers because I was a young, a young whippersnapper, as you say, um, and suddenly landed a really amazing job uh, for eight months out in Jersey and South, um, in the north of France, all on the Brittany coast doing Bergerac. Um, and then I did a year on Grange Hill in 91, I think that was a come down. Um, and then 92 was a very good year. I did a, a series called uh, On the Up, a sitcom with, um, uh, oh, uh, one of the, uh, Dennis Waterman and one of the Carry On ladies, Joan Sims. Okay, uh, the legend is Joan. Second series yeah. of that. Uh, then I did a thing called Ghostwatch, which was, um, which we just talked about, but, um, was a was a sort of a cult BBC well it wasn't a cult BBC drama at the time since become a bit of a cult uh, drama never been repeated record complaints uh, yeah. the most about show on British television yeah uh, and then I did one foot um, so ninety two was the year when I was solidly you know I was a lot of studio stuff um, and I was working with I worked with a very good designer called Anthony Ainsworth on, on the up uh, a very good designer called Ken Starkey on Ghostwatch and an extremely good designer on um, on the up um, on one foot called Nick Somerville. That's amazing. So yeah, that's kind of how that year panned out. And then we finished it. At, well, there was December. We came back and we did I think two episodes. So I think it had 
I think episode five and six, or maybe just episode six, mm. was recorded in the new year of 93. And then it all ground to a halt. I had a horrendous year in 93. Nothing really happened. The BBC was undergoing a massive, uh, I'll try and keep it brief. The BBC was going, uh, undergoing a massive change where they were, uh, this thing called producer choice came in where uh, producers could go to people outside of the BBC building. Yep. And it was the kind of beginning of the end of the art department and the design department. And in truth, you couldn't manage a department of that size. It, it was a colossal, we had a whole building. There was the design block. It was a whole, it was a factory of, is, so is that where the freelance thing came in then? So you, like you said, you were employed by the BBC and that's yeah, it. And then yeah, I, I, ITV had operated a, a bit more freelancy earlier on. Yeah. Uh, there was always a weird thing where you could work for BBC but not ITV and vice versa because they required two different kind of remits for going on board. Um, but yeah, the beginning, by the end of 93, because what, what ended up happening is I was very fortunate I got... Um, uh, through complete chance, I got to meet a designer who had just finished at ITV and had just left in London Studios where he was a staff designer, a chap called James Dillon. Um, and I ended up working with James and, and it was a total game changer for me because the BBC was lovely and I trained the BBC way, but it was very regimented, you know, you know and James just came at it a bit more loosely because yeah. that's the way he'd been trained. Yeah. Still knew what he was doing. He's and he still works today. He does. Um, well, I mean, James designed uh, the Crystal Maze as we've, we've discussed. Um, but he's currently not going out as one of his Taskmaster. Yeah. He's still very. You know, he's a relevant. Still very relevant as a production designer. Um, okay. But he. But it was just easier, and also he let me do more early doors. I was very used to having a designer over my shoulder at the BBC, and. Um, James was farm or, you know, just get on with it. You know what you're doing. You don't yeah. me. I remember doing a job down in Brighton, beginning of 94. It was a comedy thing for Meridian, stand-up show. And we were down in Brighton for a week and he came down the first day, saw the setting, and he said, right, I'm off. There you go. And I, and I was expecting him to be with me all week, like the BBC would have been. And he was like, no, you know what you're doing. You can deal with it. Any problems, you get on with it. If they need anything you just sort it out and it's amazing and that is kind of how the way you know i like to try and operate as well yeah how it does operate you just have to hand over you know you have to hand over responsibility so how had you always longed to be a production designer like obviously you've, got, you've obviously got to be creative minded in the first instance when you're sort of yeah, at school yeah. sixth form how did you approach it sorry i'm cutting across you i do apologize that's, right. um, no, that's yeah. that zoom etiquette i still haven't quite mastered um I kind of, I mean, I, I sort of relayed this story a little bit to somebody else last year when I was doing a podcast, but essentially, yes. I mean, I, I used to do a lot of amateur theatre, school plays and all of that. And then when I was an amateur, uh, you know, my, my local theatre, I, I, I always was the guy, I'll get the prop, I'll get the props, you know, I'll do that. Oh, what a bit of scenery, I'll paint that. Um, but I'd done a... Um, I'd done a professional pantomime, so our lo where I grew up in Essex, they used to um, get local kids to sort of prop up the local pantom panto year on year. So they had a chorus of about 10 or 20 kids, you know, in two teams that we used to alternate night after night uh, with the professional actors. And I got chosen in 1979 to be in Cast of Cinderella and uh, as one of the chorus when I could sing, can't anymore. 
um, and I um, remember standing on a stage for the first time as a 12 year old, never having stood on a stage, never seen scenery from behind. I mean, I'd only ever been to the theatre with my mum and dad. I'd, I'd never seen what a set looks like from the back. And I remember, I can absolutely remember it to this day, walking on that stage from the wings, the smell of the theatre and the backstage and the wood and the paint and the props and the bits of wood, rope hanging on hooks. And I mean, it, it sounds slightly romantic, but that's what it was. And, and it was literally a light bulb just went on. I just thought I absolutely loved it. And that drew you in. And that was it. And at that moment, I had, I think by 13, I had an idea. By 16, I knew that's what I was going to do in my life. Because I then did a lot of amateur shows. and Yeah, that's amazing. That's lovely. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've, always, I, I've always been um, fascinated by, in any sitcom, the background. Like, through, if, it's, um, if they've got a front door and they open it and you see outside or through the window. Uh, yeah. I, used, I used to be, I don't know why I was fascinated. It looked quite genuine and there, there is some comedies where you can just clearly see a painted picture what else is it going to be some yeah. look more genuine than others do you have much involvement with that kind of setup with the production well and now i do yeah i mean actually one foot is a, is a classic case where i absolutely hate the episode it's the episode where the fireman bashes through the glass door of um victor's house and i mean the back cloth which is the painted cloth of the other side of the street it's no more than eight feet away. And I know it's wrinkled and I know it looks hideous. And every, I remember during rehearsals doing, we were trying to, you know, come up with a better way of making it look and we just can't. And I, I and I, and it's where that reality totally goes for me because it's a real bloody giveaway that you're not in a real, yeah, not a real, real house. I, I oddly, I think, um, sets generally look better with naturalistic lighting and in sitcoms in fact as you've seen one of the episodes i watched i did a bit of homework this afternoon i watched a couple of episodes and there was one episode where victor and margaret are talking and it's just the um practical lights on it's just the table lamps and the floor lamps it's an evening scene and the set looks completely real it just suddenly takes on a yeah that the bulk of the show never quite achieves you know yeah i don't think we're any under any illusion that there's an audience barely 20 feet away. <laughs> but your your role as a designer is to try and make it we've well, got to bring it to life haven't you i mean you're you referring to secret the seven sorcerers with the fire brigade i guess i am yes i think so <laughs> i did have to think about it i've made my notes which is an amazing episode for for a, but because of the restaurant at the end i mean that's um, you know, a colossal, you have no idea that how technical that whole, um, can we talk about it now? Could we jump to, jump in to talk about it now? Would you, or would you rather? Should we go one foot heavy? Let's go, well, let's, let's go one foot heavy on this bit because it's in my Yeah, head. you go for it. Yeah, yeah, you go for it. So the scene at the end is, um, I'm presuming everybody who's listening to this podcast knows one foot. So I'm, oh, not, giving away, I'm not giving away any spoilers, but um, there's a scene at the end where Victor and Margaret and Mrs. Warboys, blimey, I remember their name, uh, are having dinner in an Italian restaurant uh, called Nico's, and it's called Nico's because Nick was the designer, and that's why we call it Nico's. The fire alarm goes off and all the uh, sprinklers go on. 
Now that was done in front of a studio audience. Uh, so that's live, that was done for real. And it's done, it's done with a view to having to do a second take. So the one, the one thing you're, you know, above all else, what you're dealing with is a live effect and it's water and it's absolutely oh. falling out of the ceiling. And you're in a studio surrounded by God knows how much electrical equipment. It's, it is, it is an accident waiting to happen. Would it be allowed now? In yeah, front of a live, yeah, yeah. You could do it. We, um, the way we did it, and it, look, it, it's, it's sort of, I don't think it really come, comes across as to how involved it was, but the way we did it, the whole set is raised up uh, off the floor by about, in new money, I was going to say feet, but that's probably uh, too old for people. So about <laughs> 450 mil off the floor. So you basically have a substructure which is all scaffolding, the set is yeah. clad to it, and essentially the floor is off, off the studio floor. Under that floor is a tank, so it's made of, um, it's like the stuff that Charlie Dimmock uses in her garden shows, it's the black rubber pond liner. So you've effectively got a set built inside a tray. To collect all the um, loose water and any so other, yeah. Any water, you know, you've got what they what it's it's got a technical term of they call it secondary containment. That there's got to be enough volume in that that if any everything went wrong, it would contain all the water that was available to be used. So it's a deep trough. It's built. So the whole set sat in there. Then we <laughs> deliberately made all the um, the floor of the restaurant look like uh, terracotta tiles. But all those terracotta tiles have got grooves cut out on. Um, uh, routed out of wood and in each point where there's a cross there's a hole mm. so all the water falling down then drains in the grooves and out the bottom the chairs they're sat on uh, if you look at the episode they're wicker chairs because that enabled us to be able to reset quickly because they were easy to dry dry off yeah yeah um, there's no tablecloths and it's the same reason because it meant we could dry it quicker um and there's no, if you look at it, there's no electrical fittings, it's all candles. And it's all the same thing. And then obviously there's a sprinkler position directly above them. It was warm water. I was gonna say, um, is it what was the temperature? Yeah. And if it was multiple takes, yeah, and they, they all got wet, how quickly could you get them dry? Yeah, so I think we probably, I would have thought there was a, probably about, because studio time is precious. So I would say probably 15 minutes we were able to turn that around 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Now, obviously, the audience sat there. That first take would have been, nobody would have been aware of what was about to happen because to anybody coming in to watch a live recording wouldn't necessarily think, oh, why is there a tray there? No. Um, so I don't think the audience were made aware that it was going to happen. So ha their, you know, their reaction is genuine. Had you come up with that idea that everything to basically be in a large tray? Um, was that we you were leading that whole process? Of... Well, me and the designer, it would have been Nick and, and myself. <laughs> so yeah, Nick Nick would have been because Nick Nick's was was the designer. Uh, yeah. I was his assistant. So I've got loads of drawings over there, which you know, again, <laughs> for the purposes of the podcast, is completely useless. But I can send you those drawings. Actually, you can put them up. Yeah, I, I will. I will share them. Um, more and more yeah. as we go, actually. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, um, you, you effectively got the set built around a metal, um, it's like a Meccano set. It's like a version of scaffolding. Yes. That kind of bolts together. It was a BBC system. It was called RMD, and it's like an orange scaffold system 
that sort of works like Meccano, then the setting's yeah. built to that. And then obviously there's that other thing of the spiral staircase with the firemen go up the spiral staircase. So you've also got a practical, you know, a fully working spiral staircase. And then there's a lovely moment, there's one shot, I think, where you can see the water kind of coming down the staircase like a waterfall. Yeah. I mean, it really is falling down. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not half half arse. No. Um, and that, to do that in front of an audience and to do it, and it went first time without a hitch and it was reset. And I, I think as one of the things I did as an art director, it's one of my, you know, I, I'm very proud to be part of that creative process that came up with that. Yeah. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, series four is most people's favourite series. Um, yeah. I think it's got the highest viewing figures, mostly. I think the, the single most watched episode, Nerd Fact, is uh, One Foot in the Algarve. Yes. Um, but the series four... Part of that series. It's that bolted on as an episode seven. It's, it? Yeah. Did, did you tag... Did, did, yeah. You didn't know you didn't go along to... No, that I, option. I was gutted at the time. That would have been a nice little jolly, wouldn't it? I didn't I didn't do it um and I can't remember yeah I don't know why I I, I don't know why they got one of the staff designers staff art directors to do it but um no I because I think it would have only then so it was only six episodes I did then presumably yeah well yeah. yes four four yeah, episodes seventh, yeah but there was I believe a week after the final episode aired was Victor and the Bath comic relief. Yeah. Did you? Because you don't. You've done a lot of comic relief, sport relief yeah, stuff, haven't I you? I honestly don't remember. No, I don't remember doing it. Um, we did the bath. We did the bathroom when he goes for a wee in one of the episodes. I can't remember. It was the one I was watching today. Oh, the trial. The trial. Yeah. And then he stands because that was. And actually, looking at my drawings, I think we did. Oh no, the trial, in fact, I've got the plan for the trial. That was the first studio we did was in TC3. So that, in fact, that's one of the studios that's still standing at Television Centre. So we've got Victor's composite, Patrick's, and then we've got the bathroom. I think they're the only sets. I don't you know why Patrick's is in there with Patrick's, because it's all Victor in the house, isn't it? Well, I, 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 yes, it is entirely. Um, it's one of the quickest ones to record because there was no other actors. Yeah, I, I, if you've, um, have you picked, have you picked up the One from the Grave book by Richard Weber, which has loads of fascinating insight into the show from Renwick's diary. Um, yeah. I, I, I believe you'll mention your reference in there. I'm sure because you're a production designer. There was something about the trial. That Renwick said it was it, it was like you just said it was a lot easier to film because there's more space to put other cameras and yeah. more angles. But they're very interesting. I couldn't believe when you said to me the other day you are responsible for, for um, one of Victor's uh, most <laughs> famous rants, aren't you? Do you want to yeah. tell the listener what you what what you what did you do to poor Victor? Oh uh, well, I well I didn't write it, did I? But I I, I put the yucca plant in the toilet. Can't I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for dressing that yucca plant in the toilet. I got shouted at by Susie, the director, because we, I'm thinking about it. I think it might have been because it was a reveal to the audience. So I think there'd been a scene. We, we either shot it out of order because we might have done a scene where the toilet was seen and the yucca wasn't in there or some, I don't know, but it was a, re, it's a reveal because it's a reveal from the top of the stairs and he kind of walks into the frame and, 
it's there. He doesn't like opening the door. But yeah, I, I, I dressed it in. But I seem to remember Susie shouting at me to get off the set. And I can't remember why that would have been other than there was something not quite level or flat or something I wasn't happy with and I ran in. But yeah, yeah, that's... Um, that, that's, that's not a bad it. claim, is it? I mean, not obviously that, working mm -hmm. on One from the Grave is amazing anyway, but you know, you are directly re uh, responsible for making sure that scene worked. And I've, I've always been fascinated with the shot from, it's a, it's a very much a classic one foot in the grave shot, the top of the landing, top of the stairs, yeah. overlooking the landing to the front door. Yeah. Um, how is, how is that played in front of a live studio audience? Because is there just two levels? So the, yeah, well, you've got a land. You've got a land. You've I'm going to grab a plan because as we're talking, it might be. This is terrible for a podcast. <laughs> um, so I've got one of the studio plans here. I'm going to um, describe it as best I can. At all. It's a load of drawing. It's a load of lines on a piece of paper. So this is recorded. This is pre-record. Twelfth of the twelfth, ninety-two. Uh, do you know what? I never wrote down what the episodes were. That's really page one. I should. Oh, um, series four. I amended it for some reason, but there is a um, there is a landing. So in the kitchen, it's above. But yeah, you can, actually you can't really see it in a lot of. Um, can, can the audience, if you're in that live studio audience, can you see what yeah. the, the scenes when they're in their bedroom on the landing and obviously the ground floor they can see? But yeah, can... The bedrooms would have been. Do you know how it works? It depends on how much the the those scene those sets are in the episode. So yeah. if, it's like, if it's like one scene, yeah. you wouldn't put the bedroom in front of the audience. You'd always put Victor's in. Yeah. Um, and then the other, like the Italian restaurant, when we did that, we had Victor's, Victor's set on one side, the Italian restaurant on the right, because they're the big scenes. But at the back, again, for the purposes of the podcast, I'm reaching over and grabbing another plan. Um, so that episode, which we're talking about with the Italian restaurant, had Victor's at the front, and the Italian restaurant, that we had Victor's spare room at the back, which the audience would have, wouldn't have seen. We had um, the cafe at the back as well. There's a scene in the cafe where Victor's dressed as the... Lollipop uh, man, lollipop. with uh, Mr. Swainy's in that one, isn't he, in that scene? And I hadn't realised until watching this afternoon, my mate Adam is playing the cafe owner. Oh, right. He was, a, he was a sort of a little jobbing actor at the time and i remember him getting getting that part that's pretty I'm, sweet in the part um so my mate adam polton is playing the the cafe owner who's doing very good uh cloth wiping down surface acting and um you know all the rest of it because i i remember reviewing secret of the seven sorcerers and in the cafe scene with victor dressed as a lollipop yeah. man uh with a guest and we i was trying to we were trying to debate whether that was a set or not, because that was not a, the longest scene, but a lot of yeah. detail into that set. So it's yeah, quite. Well, um, it, was, it was a set, and then we also on that episode, I think we also did the bathroom in TC Seven, which is another studio. So we pre-recorded the bathroom for that episode oh. in another studio. Sometimes in sitcoms and sketch shows, certainly what you do because you get a rehearsal day, and then you get the day when you're recording. You know, you rehearse and record as well. Yeah. In front of the audience. Sometimes yeah. the audience seat, you put a set where the audience seating is. Yes. On the pre record day, you can record because it's a whole lot of studio floor that's 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can get one or two sets in there and then it's struck out overnight and the seats are brought forward and then you carry on. And so, you know, I've, I've, done, I've done shows where you plan like that. So you pre-record a lot more. But yeah, that cafe scene I'd totally forgotten about. I've got the drawing, I've got the, the um elevator. I think you yeah, I think you might have said might have sent that to me. In in the in the um in back to the trial, there is a scene where Victor he's 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 uh, received a pamphlet from a religious group and they yeah. basically had a go at him because he's given them some grief. And yeah. he's walked up the stairs and he stood on yeah. the landing pondering about life, but it's a very yeah. unusual shot. It looks like it's it looks like he's in a dock. It's yeah. That's the um, idea. Oh, okay. I didn't, yeah. I didn't look at it like that before. Yeah. So he, stands, he, the, he goes up the stairs and he turns on the landing and, and he's, facing, he's facing the cameras, although he's kind of, effectively, he would be looking towards the, the wall. Um, but the reason was that they wanted him to feel like he was standing in a dock. I'm, sp- I'm supposed the to know. To rail, the banister yeah. rail, the reminiscent <laughs> of a dock. I'm supposed to know that as a uh, fanboy. <laughs> I never looked at it like that before. I just, I, I had speculated with Andrew, a, a chap called Andrew Stowe, who joined me for that podcast. We were thinking, well, perhaps they just didn't build the set fully, so they just needed only needed that angle shot. <laughs> we didn't think for a minute it could be Victor in the dock. Um, that sounds silly because it's called the trial. Yeah. Um, I feel a bit silly now. I'm, I could edit this out, so I don't sound silly, but I'll definitely keep it in. But yeah, interesting. <laughs> that might be obvious to some fans. <laughs> I feel a bit silly now. You because it's quite dark and you've got the little uh, strips of sort of glass lights above the doors. So yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely to ape a um, like he's in a dock in series four. Then, so let me just remind you of the episode titles, and I'll ask you. So you got um, the pit and the pendulum. Yeah, pit and the pendulum. I wrote down because I saw a bit of that today. Yeah, you got um, descent into the maelstrom, hearts of darkness, which is. A lot of people's favourite episode. Uh, Warm Champagne and The Trial. Warm Champagne is my favourite because it's got my set in it. So that for me, well, Warm Champagne because, yeah, I, um, so having said that, um, you know, there's a lot more control at the BBC. Nick was a very good designer and was very, you know, very good at giving me quite a lot to do. I mean, as you said, nobody can see the amount of drawings on my on this uh, behind me. every inch of that I quilt of drawings <laughs> I, I can't believe the amount of you know there's a lot of you know work gone into yeah. using it um but i the warm champagne scene where uh, margaret goes with ben for dinner that was a set that nick let me design so that was my all my own work yeah and also ben's house which is the little kitchen scene. Nick and I kind of did that together. Yeah. And, you know, I was very grateful at the time and I'm still very grateful because it's a nice back-to-back couple of little scenes. Um, and the restaurant, looking at it now, interesting, it actually shoots really, really well. And I, you know, I was finding my feet in terms of a designing as well. But uh, I do remember deliberately choosing slightly sort of seductive colours Margaret, if you look at Victor and Margaret's house, it's quite bland. It's mm. blue and beige and bizarrely this sort of blood red carpet. But <laughs> it's a very kind of neutral palette. Yeah. The bedroom is very bland. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that you would design a set like that because it's almost white. It's so, it, it, there's nothing really to latch on to. Maybe that is the point. There is just nothing to latch on to. Possibly, yeah. So, 
so you kind of I, I do remember thinking that you know she wants to it's slightly intoxicating this relationship that she's got with Ben so it's it's very so seductive when she walks in sort of dimly lit yeah. nice and rich colors yeah if you look at the way where they're sat now being old-fashioned a lady should always face into the room that is the kind of unwritten rule when you're <laughs> taking somebody out for dinner so i'm told um <laughs> but ben when she walks in ben sat facing into the room so what you get with margaret when she sits down she's sort of surrounded by the you know the, the the luxury of the space ben's got the plain wall behind her she is surrounded almost overwhelmed she's a fish out of water in this sort of yeah you know sexy restaurant and then they go back to ben's uh, apartment and we're suggesting that maybe it is an apartment it's not necessarily a house because it again it mm. rings the changes to what margaret and victor's world is and again it's all terracotta and blue and very sexy. I mean, it's very of its time. That sort of blue and terracotta is a kind of Conran early 90s look. And yeah. if you look at all of the kitchen utensils, everything matches. And it's all chrome and glass. And he's got a coffee filter machine and everything's polished and neat and tidy. And it's the complete antithesis of what Margaret's World with Victor is, which is a chaotic kitchen where you've got nothing really matches. It's just and the work surfaces are full and it's a it's a mess. So it there there is that's where design production design really comes into its own because you've got a visual representation of the differences as well as the dialogue and you know and everything else. It's just there in black and white or in colour. You know, his world is a polar opposite world, you, you know, away yeah. from, from her world. Did you, so do you take your work? your work home with you so if you've moved whenever you've moved house in life are you in production design mode but obviously in the sense that you're not going to have partition walls you can have you know are you do you take the lead with that sort of thing in your home with anything to do with getting new furniture or remake and that sounds like a silly question just out of curiosity i suppose i kind of yeah i mean i have a passing thing interest i mean it's so funny somebody the other day asked me oh, i bet your house is really cool and i don't I, I don't know that it is because taste is, you know, everybody's taste is yeah. different. You know, just because I do this for a living doesn't mean to say my sense of taste is any more or less than your sense of taste. It's just mm. you know, it's taste. It's a matter of opinion. Yeah. Um, I think what I have always been very good at. I've, I'm I um I have a quite a good photographic memory. So I am quite good i think and it definitely plays out in my work my work life but if i've seen a i've walked past a, somebody's front door and they've got something going on or i've gone into somebody's house and i've remembered i'm very good at remembering stuff yeah okay i have a, I have a you know i have quite a good memory for detail and things i've seen in the magazines i remember a picture out of a magazine i mean i've used um that color palette from Ben's, I've definitely, that's played out in other shows I've done down the line. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything as I'm saying that, but I've definitely back-referenced it. Um, yeah. You know, um, colour for me is something that as a designer, as a production designer, colour is a big thing for me. And what um, 
colours say about people is, yeah. is, you know, going back to my current job, not necessarily, this is not one foot related, just in terms of my job as a production designer, I'm a big fan of colour and, and the stories that it conveys and colour yeah. themes running through, um, running through stories. It's a big thing for me. Um, tried to do it. We, we did it in um, Afterlife. Um, and I have told this story before, but um, Ricky is, um, like most of us, a fan of uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and when we were talking about the set for Tony, he kept mentioning It's a Wonderful Life. And there was a couple of things he wanted to sort of try and get over. And um, I mean, as we know, It's a Wonderful Life is a black and white film, although there is a colour pressing of it. Yeah. I found online colour stills of It's a Wonderful Life. And so what we did on Afterlife is all the colours in the set are the colours of It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. So I, I took, I didn't take it literally and tried to ape the, the, the house. Um, but what I did do is all my colour choices were, were the colours from It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. Uh, um, so, yeah, um, he's a bit of a prank. Is it, he's a, a known prankster on set. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did he lark about considerably? Well, he well he does. I think I don't think it's a great I, I, anybody who's seen because he does a show. There's always an outtake reel that does the rounds on YouTube. I mean, the ironic thing is, I'm not around that much when it's being shot um, because as a production designer, what you are doing is you're already on the next set. So we. Doing Afterlife, um, we the last two the last two series we've shot up at Pinewood Studios, and we put the the office is a set, uh, Tony's house is a set, the dad's care home is a set, the psychiatrist is now a set. It was a location, um, but what we tend to do is we shoot the office first, get that all done go off and do two or three days of location and then we finish dressing the the house so in series two for example we did the office set then we went off and did all the tambury players theater thing and that was a set that was a theater put inside a a, a village hall I, we yeah. created the stage and yeah. you know so i'm never around when we're shooting the office i'm always somewhere else and when and we're either striking a set or putting a set in. We're very rarely there at the moment that it, the cameras are actually there. Okay, that's interesting. Have, you know, as a production designer, I have an art director and a standby art director, and I have a team. Um, I'm heading up a team of people. So I've got people on set to represent me, um, but we're, we're already a week ahead or two weeks ahead. You know? Yeah, yeah, so, okay. Oh, that, that's interesting. And I, you know, I've seen it. I have seen him laugh about, of course. And we go on recce's and we go on meetings and and all the rest of it. But um, in terms of the yeah the working part of it, I, I, you know, I'm not there as that much. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. You know, by the time you've built the set, they just get on and and do the rehearsals and act, and then you're yeah, I I can see that. Um, yeah. a, a real um back to warm champagne of one foot at the start they come back from holiday yeah and i had a debate with lucy who i had i had on well not really a debate i listened to that episode where where did thank you where did 
they go on holiday? Because I, I presume know, abroad. I have to assume they've gone abroad because of the, and it's because he's got, and because I, I, actually your podcast was ringing in my ears when I was watching it this afternoon. Um, because I thought, well, of course they've gone abroad. You know, I'd always assume they had. And I think it's the rubber ring thing that gives it away. I don't know why. I just think that feels like a, something he picked up. Yeah, it's, Lucy had a good argument for it being, well, not necessarily because I think it was, I can't remember who asked them, Mrs. Warboys or Mr. Swaney, or no, it might have been Pippa. It's quite, it's quite sunny down that way this time of year yeah. or something like that. And that, you, you might not say that about a country abroad. You might just say it's sunny over there. Um, it's just no evidence of it. But then I thought, she's, made, she's met this Ben it just feels like if you if you can re- meet a holiday romance, it's more than likely going to be in a sunny country for some reason. Not to yeah. say it's impossible on, on this land, but um, it wasn't any evidence to suggest either way. It could have easily been sunny in England and get, get a sunburn on the coast. That can happen. South coast yeah. of England. Yeah, because the other thing you mentioned was in, in your podcast um, was that <clears throat> uh, you weren't sure where they were living, and because of the North London, when she says about Ben living in North London. Oh sure? yeah. You mentioned that it's shot in Bournemouth. I always assumed that's where it was set, because it's like a place where old people go. To well, retire. it could be like where I live now. I live down in Worthing. It's sort of, it's kind of like where old people go. I, I, th- I think it's because they've referenced a couple of times in the series of popping into London, London way. Like they went into London, uh, the BBC studios to watch a really bad, unknown sitcom being uh, filmed. And it was just Victor. Margaret and Mrs. Warboy's, well, they're supposed to take Mrs. Warboy's um, cousin, cousin Wilf, and they took the wrong man, the wrong person. They took the, I think it was the worst horror of all, I think, just off the top of my head. Uh, anyway, it was that episode, and th- that was obviously London. So, just not, I'm not presuming they live in central London by any means, but it's, it's, it is well known it's filmed in Bournemouth, but I didn't assume it was. I mean, I, I, take your word for it i mean you you <laughs> a very long time ago i could be wrong but i just thought it was seaside it would it would make sense but then you might think if in fact they filmed it in bournemouth there wasn't that many scenes filmed near a beach i don't no. went to the algarve that's pretty much uh yeah no i don't know it's it's up for, up for not up for debate I, say, but, I mean i remember as a kid um and please don't hold this against me. I went to see Jim will fix it being recorded, which um, uh, for viewers of a, for listeners of a certain age, yeah. Anyway, um, but we we I grew up in Essex, and we got on a coach to go to the BBC. And Essex to the BBC and Television Centre might as well have been Bournemouth to London. It took bloody ages. Yeah, it's not unreasonable. Oh, what, what about um, Hearts of Darkness? Because they they feel. According to the research I did, they filmed where they that um, residential care home and where they were walking is somewhere in Norwich, but they wouldn't have in their world driven to Norwich, I presume, just a countryside nearby. Do you know? uh, Oh, is this is this in the series I did? Well, yeah, series um, Four Hearts of Darkness. Um, Oh, uh, well, well, okay. Well, there's there's an interesting thing with some of this because um, I didn't do any of the. the location and stuff. I went on the uh, recce. Yeah. I went on the recce. The day before um, we started, uh, we were going to go off to start filming. My appendix decided it didn't want to um, be my TV anymore. I had an emergency okay. appendix operation. So I missed the two weeks filming, but I definitely went to that location. Bizarrely, 
because one of the drawings I've got is like a big, because I've got some drawings and it's like a big stately home with a curved driveway. So that would yeah. have been down at Bournemouth. We definitely didn't go to Norwich. We would have, we went to Bournemouth because I remember going down on the recce and seeing all the locations. Okay. Um, it would have all been done in the Bournemouth area. Right. Okay. No, that sounds. I mean, that ten, I mean, what would have what would have happened would have been they would have put everybody up in the BBC hotel. Yeah. You know, in the hotel for two weeks or whatever, and then you would have find places to double for certain locations. When I did Bergerac, we um, shot some of Salisbury, the streets of Salisbury in Jersey, and the only way there was an episode that was going to take place in Salisbury. In fact, we did shoot at Salisbury Cathedral, but for scheduling purposes, we couldn't get it all done in the time we were going to be there. So we shot some streets of um, uh, Salisbury in Jersey. And all I did was, all we did was get one of those brown signs saying Salisbury yeah. Cathedral and stuck it on a lamp. <laughs> and so it's in the back of shot. And that right. was that enough. I mean, you can convince people, you just say, well, you are where you are. And people either buy it or they don't. Yeah, yeah. What, what was your, what was your favourite moment? in series four i know we've spoken a lot about some of the scenes you enjoyed creating but overall have you got a favorite I would scene? say that italian restaurant and i would say warm champagne only because of the uh because my involvement was was far greater i mean yeah. i've looked back at those episodes this afternoon and this i mean i can remember bits of them being recorded um we did the um the pit in the pendulum Upstairs, what are upstairs in the kitchen? Dog handler. Oh yeah, the dog handler. There's a dog handler behind the armchair for that. Uh, when he reaches down to get Denzel. The yeah. <laughs> so there's a dog handler literally tucked. And if you look to the right of the shot, you can see the nest of tables is just filling the frame enough, probably to hide his or her legs. Right. Well, you know, so that was something I do remember. The, I can remember the shooting the scene with. Um, the plumber being under the kitchen sink. I don't remember much. I, I can just remember doing that those that particular episode, but I don't really know why because it's a pretty non-eventful. This is where Mr. Sweeney was um, trying to fix a problem, yeah. and he ends up he he does his back, doesn't he? And he's there for the rest of the, <laughs> the yeah, episode. Come in and he thinks he's cheating to help himself to the video recording. Oh, it's magic! He in and just sees him. <laughs> he shouts something down and all the rest of it. The lamppost coming in through the window, which again is something you spoke about on that podcast, because that lamppost, what I, what I can't find, and I really wanted to find it for you, I have got a photo of that lamppost in the bedroom. Oh, okay. I've got all the drawings, which I'll, I'll, I'll send you. Um, but um, I can remember that scene. And I think Richard did bang his head on that lamp for real a couple of times when we were shooting. Yeah. He got proper angry about it. I mean, I suspect. It was a real it was a real street lamp it was, was it so we bought so we made the, the the base but the actual head was a real street lamp head God. and then we put different light inside it but it's actually the real shell of an actual lamp that's incredible i didn't know that you just always presume these things are literally designed to make it make believe but yes yeah, in some cases like that it's the real, no, the real thing. Point. you can buy it off the shelf and it's yeah you just do it and um, one thing you did pick up one thing you mentioned in your podcast which is something you would not be allowed to do now is the um you are absolutely right there's a van gogh painting uh <laughs> in patrick's bedroom um 
I am really surprised that the, the, the BBC haven't been sued retrospectively because you would not be allowed to to have that now because of copyright. Um, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a massive. I mean, it's a as a production designer, it is a it is a minefield copyright um, because a lot of scripts will say, "Oh, so and so, it needs to like that," and they're reading a magazine as you know, they're reading a car magazine or Top Gear magazine. Well, you can't have Top Gear magazine. You've got to create Top Gear. You can get permission, but certain production companies will say, well, that, well, the, even, even a BBC show will say, well, that's free advertising. Even though it's a BBC mag or a BBC product, you know, you can't necessarily show it. Well, um, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, one thing the grave, there's one thing that, a lot of um, people say they love the fact that that they reference day-to-day things yeah. that are real to us, but even down to the little things like the Heinz bottle of ketchup yeah. is in shot, or it could be they mentioned a packet of, of Walker's crisps. Um, what was well, the you other? Get to do that. That's, I'm not saying this can't be done. So they okay. You can yeah. get permissions, but what what the very fact that there's a Walker's or well, he's eating Golden Wonder at a table in one episode, I think. Yeah. Um, and what, what they call it is undue prominence. So if you don't see another bag of crisps, then you're giving that bag of crisps prominence in its branding. So sometimes the way around it is to have other brands visible. Um, sometimes if it's the market leader, i.e. Heinz tomato ketchup, the fact that it's on one foot in the grave is not going to make any difference to its sales. It is already the leading seller in this country. Therefore, you are probably on fairly safe ground. But it... It is a it is a it is a big thing, particularly alcohol as well. Alcohol brands you have to be very careful on, and yeah, you either get you can either get permission or you have as an art department. One of my one of the jobs of my team is to create fake labels, and it it's just become more and more of a thing because people have got more and more paranoid about getting getting sued. And it, and it, um, yeah, an interesting one was. Um... The episode, it wasn't in series four, it was Monday morning, we'll be fine. And it's the episode, they've been burgled. And Margaret's out to buy a new television and she spots it there and she's in Dixon's or something. She spots all the tellies in the background. It's advertising um, you being framed, but with Angus Deaton narrating it as right. not Jeremy Beadle, but yeah. their version of Jeremy Beadle. But it's that's clearly that's an ITV show. Yeah, Margaret doesn't want to purchase the television. I think the television was due to be delivered in that same day or the following day, but because it's no, I think it's going to be delivered on a Saturday for Victor to watch. But because you've been framed on a Saturday, she said, "Oh no, Monday morning will be fine." Actually, besides the fact that's just I found that interesting. That's an ITV show. There's obviously well, they would have got know, permission. They might have got permission to to do it. They would have done that. They wouldn't just randomly choose. A show no, no permission. And ITV either would have said yes or no or you know whether in you know whether the script called for that specifically that show or it just had to be an ITV show mm. um, it might have been written that it was just a, you know ITV entertainment show um I mean you can do it there are ways around it I mean but it is it is definitely a complicated process and sometimes it is far easier to just get clearances but uh, just to sort of create your own yeah but work in particular is a big is a big problem I um, You can get cleared art, so I can hire art that is cleared for use, which is basically meant that the the artist has wavered, has, has been paid a one-off fee 
and with though and in buying the painting the hire company has also bought the rights to use the painting okay the, the the artist can't then go back and say oh you've used that without my permission so okay but they've made a bit of money out of it but in in making that money they they've wavered their right i would have thought of van gogh you you, you they would have got <laughs> that's and also so, it's, cheap, it's quite a cheap print it's like a print from a you know it's like a print from a from, from a del boy yeah exactly <laughs> um Patrick's room there on the top of Patrick's room in series six at Executioner's Song. Patrick's working from his office, but it's a totally different setup. First of all, he hasn't got he hasn't got a window. It's completely boarded up. It's just yeah. a wall to his left, to our right as we watch it, and behind him where that Van Gogh painting was, it's yeah. some it's like a bit a built-in unit area to put you know ornaments and stuff. It, it doesn't matter, of course, but I just found it interesting that. Unless they're trying to tell us. If I sent you photos today of the previous series where the garden gnomes are left all around the house. Yeah, yeah. Victor's sofa is totally different. And things are different within the set. I think each designer coming on will want to make it their own a little bit and improve on yeah, things. Yeah. If, you look at, if you look at Patrick's bedroom in, in that episode and then look at in the... Uh, the, the magician episode the bedroom shape is exactly the same they're, 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 they're it's the same configuration okay pictures uh, is painted a kind of brown kind of terracotta color weirdly uh, and patrick's has got that lovely 1980s red and black diagonal stripe wallpaper on it running through it um it's very it's uh, it's brilliant that because it's a very 80s thing it, and he, he's even got a little red there's like a red table lamp in there and red and black chair just on the just on the edge of shot. It's a very 80s look that the Patrick. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the two rooms are the same. And obviously the plan for, uh, again, consulting. <laughs> the bed of uh, several. You can't, you can, you, yeah. You can. I can see, yeah. Those two rooms, the, the plans are the same. You know, they are essentially the same shells. And the same with the bedrooms. All the rooms are kind of the same shapes because they're mirror. They're you know they're an estate. I think you mentioned in your pod, the one podcast I heard about um, Patrick becoming Victor, or he's sort of a version of Victor. I think that is very evident in the fact that they have exact, obviously identical houses, but not dissimilar taste in terms of the look of the two living rooms. Yeah. Kitchens are sort of laid out very similarly in terms of their, you know. Yeah. Patrick's and, and Pippa. Is it Pippa? Is that what? Pippa? No. Pippa. What's her? Pippa. Yeah. Kind of beige one, and and, and uh, their kitchen and um, and Victor and Margaret's is kind of white and a bit more clean, but they're they're very similar shapes to both the sets. Yeah. It's it's when it gets to series six. In, you know, when it's aired in the year 2000, it does look considerably more modern. Yeah. Uh, Victor and Mark can, compared to obviously the previous series, but that's understandable, you know, as, as the years go on, we do. As well, bearing in mind that chances are they wouldn't have kept those sets for seven years because no. the, way, the way it worked was there would have been a designer originally on one foot, and I wish I, I don't know who that chap was or her. Um, and then each year another designer would take it on or there might be a designer that did two series and then pass it on you're inheriting a set and you either 
it either would be money to rebuild it or repair it or whatever um or you know with your new sets as well because like it, as, as we've said in this series we had the italian restaurant which was a chunk of money the cafe the restaurant i did um so they're all new builds the bathroom i think was a new build i've got the drawing for it i think we rebuilt the bathroom by the time you got to the last of the original series which was the one i did i think before it then comes back that's like four or five years those sets would not have been kept so they would have all been trashed so whoever designed it in 2000 would have either had a copy of those drawings possibly or start yeah. again or yeah. just start again also the furniture is all hired some of that furniture wouldn't necessarily be available six seven years down the line because some of that might not exist anymore so why not just start again i mean you um you kept the prop riverbank sign, yeah. which is pretty yeah. pretty unique, isn't it? Uh, one of my uh, loyal listeners, Simon, he asked, and I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you worked on this particular scene or episode in Descent into the Maelstrom, but you might know the answer. Yeah. If you just remind that he, Victor has a waste disposal unit, it's one that can't keep its food down, which is quite right. a great line. Is that real, or is that just a clever bit of um, prop work? Is it, it a, a clever bit of prop work? Okay. Does it spit things out? Yeah, he can't. It's, he said he basically he says something along the lines of, "We've got the only waste disposal that can't keep its food down, and it's just shooting out old bits of vegetable." It's brilliant. So there's probably because <laughs> that's the that's behind that wall would be nothing. There'd just be a site, and yeah. so there's plenty of room to set up special effects there. And I would have thought that's probably a little air. Um, CO2 burst, possibly, just with a load of food. Yeah. Very crudely, like a plunger, just pushing yeah. stuff on. It wouldn't yeah. be anything more than that. You, generally with effects, what, I, I always use the term hand-o-matic. The, the simpler the effect, the more chance it's going to work first time. The more complicated an effect gets, uh, things are likely to go wrong. So it would be a very rudimentary, simple effect to make things spray up and as I said that might literally have been a little air burst or it could literally be somebody pushing something down like a plunger and, and spurting something out. Yeah. It wouldn't be a real machine, partly no. because of safety. Yeah, and cost maybe. And cost. And also, you know, it could go wrong if it's elect the more electrical something is, there's just a chance. Yeah. As we know and in telly certainly, you know, in the real things don't things in telly work differently to how they work in the real world. You know, things, mm. things like, you know, waste disposal units don't necessarily spout stuff back at you if they break down. Yeah, just that's off. true. No, no, no. You know, so, um, yeah, I, my gut feeling, because is that, so is that the episode where the chap is lying on the floor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there you go, because obviously he's fixing yeah, the, the plumbing the problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the spot there even uh as many times i make mistakes on this pod i get i often get corrected by uh listeners um which is fine because <laughs> i look at i look at it either way but i tell you one of the most chilling moments in one from the grave comes in the episode the pit and the pendulum right is the answer machine scene so uh, margaret's yeah, mother's passed away and she listens yeah. to an old um yeah. well they play it back don't they the, the message is very yeah, eerie it's really lovely that Mm. really lovely and i'd forgotten all about it and, and until seeing it today i mean literally that's the first time i've seen it since 1992 today so crikey um yeah it's really lovely and and she 
plays it absolutely beautifully. Mm. Yeah, absolutely it's it's um it's very touching. It, it's a bit chilling, and it's the brilliant moment where Victor's sort of <laughs> looking up to the to the heavens as he's hearing them, and he said, "Oh, that's cheering me up no end." You know, it's just <laughs> the, 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 Richard Wilson can. It's like the waste disposal shot. The way he bends, he like arches his back so far because to yeah. avoid the food. It's just that is a natural ability to act out that seemingly simple moment yeah. just makes everyone roar with laughter and that comes down to a lot of from the uh, acting you know, i mean presumably you know how old they were when they shot those shot those the series because annette i think annette is now 92 i've got it in my head they're mid 80s i do you know not as ner- not as nerdy as i may make out i i'm sure oh. Vic, um victor richard wilson is something like 85 86 so Annette, and I think Annette is now 92, so that means she would have been 63, 64 when they shot it, and Richard would have been early 60s. He's, eight, he's 84 now, uh, according to IMDb. They're not always correct, but that's what they say. And so he's 53? No. So, so Annette's um, 80, she's born in 1934. But, well, that doesn't help me. So we know it's 29 years from... 29 years from now. So if Annette... They were late 50s, I think. I think I think it was 56, 57. I, th- I think he felt, Rich Wilson's is, that he was he didn't want to play an old man and he was only 56 in 1990 or there or about. because I'm 53. That is <laughs> quite scary. You're nearly as old as Victor Meldry. Nearly as old as Victor. Flipping hell. But we all get like... I mean, even... I mean, I people around my age will, will say as they get from here on out that you start to understand Victor's point of view more and more as you get older when you watch when I watched One Foot in the Grave as a youngster obviously I found it hilarious and I still do but I didn't necessarily understand always where Victor was coming from just oh he's moaning again but he does make 95% of the time I'm agreeing with him and he's got a lot of balls (laughs) isn't he that's the bottom line that's what we love about him and it's Margaret who wants to hold back more so she doesn't really want him to I think it's she doesn't want him to get into any trouble and get beaten up because how many times did he get punched in the face or yeah. um, vandalised? That's why she gets so cross with him, not just because he's moaning, but he's going to run into some trouble. She's just trying to protect them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's beautiful, really. It's really nice. No, they're great together. I mean, they are. A, it's a good, it's a great coupling of people as well cast. I mean, they're both brilliant. And I yeah. Mean, I, always, I always remember um, Annette, I mean, she had a real twinkle in her eye and she still got it. I mean, that was something that I noticed when I was chatting to her last year or the year before last. Um, there is still that little twinkle in her eye. I mean, she's as sharp as a tack. She really is. I don't know if you've seen the episode in, in Afterlife. But oh, she, have I ever? I, the so first the... hundred-year-old woman, yeah. What advice would you give to someone to have a long life like yours? Don't. It's fucking awful. It hurts just to be alive. Here's my typical month. First week, diarrhea. The next three weeks, I can't shit at all. So good. I mean, it was a sense of pride watching Annette in, the, I think it's like the opening scene or two of mm. episode one. And the first thing I did was pause and I tweeted Ricky Gervais from my podcast and he he acknowledged it pretty good. He's pretty good on Twitter. He will acknowledge quite a lot of tweets. And uh, that's quite amazing that you've taken a one foot legend and brought him into, brought her, this person into your show. And yeah, it's only a shame she's not in it 
more. If the, I mean, there's Afterlife three, so who knows? But um, yeah, are you working on? Or will yeah, you that's be working? The next thing I do. I mean, it's sort of. Um, if I mean, he's obviously he's he's put it out there that it's going to happen. So um, yeah. we are meant to be starting. I can't. I need to be careful what I say. Of course, yeah. Soon ish. Yeah, I've read the scripts and uh, it's good. And uh, jammy kit, I can't believe you know what's gonna. I can't say any more than that, other than I've read the scripts. I was born in Tambry. I'll die in Tambry very soon. I hope. I've seen fuck all. I may as well have been a tree. But um, yeah, no, it's very, very good, and uh, I don't think anybody will be disappointed. It's, it's lovely. I mean, it's been a lovely. It, it, you know, it's been a lovely thing for me to, to, you know, to be a part of. I really very, very lucky um, to sort of to end up doing it. I worked with Ricky a very long time ago. Uh, I used to design the thing called the Eleven O'clock Show, which was yeah, I even I can remember that. I can remember. Yeah, I was a young lad, but I Channel Four, wasn't it? Yeah. So I did that in ninety nine, eight ninety eight, ninety nine, two years yeah. that round and uh ricky was one of the sort of contributors and did a five minute ten minute piece and then came on as a guest a couple of times um so i knew ricky way back when um and then we did a series called meet ricky gervais that was his, that was didn't jimmy savile go on that one as well yes he did yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah random yeah. it yeah um, oh, I did. I did when they bought when they well, that's the third time he's going to get I, mentioned. I know. I, I yeah, I should limit that, this. <laughs> when they bought Jim will fix it back uh, a few years ago. I did that. I did the set for that. Yeah, so I did that with Ricky, and then we repiloted it. Uh, we re we repiloted it. Channel Channel Four wanted a sort of slightly different take on the on the format, and but at that time, unbeknownst, um, Ricky was shooting The Office, or The Office was beginning. Yeah sort of happened for him and um he decided not to do the chat show and the rest is history i mean had he done that chat show he may not have been we may not be talking about afterlife who knows but um yeah so that's my connection with ricky was way back then they're not friends they're cunts all of them i hate every single one of them and when i outlive one of them they bring a new cunt in to take their place Good. Take a picture. Yeah. Uh, smile. Bollocks. Back to Annette just for a moment. How f did you know well in advance that she was yes. going to be? Yeah, so that's nice. Yeah, I knew yeah. a little bit in advance and she was at the read-throughs. Yeah, that's all nice. That and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I was, and I didn't say anything to her then. I, the only, it was so funny because at the read-through, there was also uh, another lady um, playing a part and I, you know, I mentioned very right at the start of the podcast, the theatre that I did, uh, amateur theatre in. Yeah. I did Cinderella and, and one of the ladies in one of the, who was, she's the cat lady. So in the, um, in Afterlife 2, she's the lady with all the cats. Oh, I yes. I remember her name. But I, she was, uh, she was in that panto. Oh, amazing. I, I did say to her, I said, you won't remember me, but I, the last time I saw you, I was 12. Um, <laughs> And we had, a, we had a bit of a chat, which was lovely, but I wanted to say something to Annette, never got the chance, but on the day we shot the scene, uh, we were waiting, uh, we were setting up, and I just grabbed five minutes, and I just 
I very rarely do that because they're all they're there to do a job the same as I am and everybody else. And as I said, I'm not often there when they're shooting. Um, but I just thought it was kind of too good an opportunity, and I just said, look, you had to, yeah, I'd have done the same. Oh, I had to, yeah. It was yeah. really. It was really weird. And I said, look, I hope you don't mind. We did work together a very long time ago. You won't remember who I was. Yeah. And we just had a little natter and, and, and that was That's that. Nice. And yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was it. Amazing. What is your favourite sitcom comedy, just out of interest? And what comes close to one foot for you in terms of In terms of uh, to watch or to, to work on? Uh, to, as a fan, to watch in this instance. Uh, oh, God, as a sitcom. Well, I, I, you see, I grew up with the young ones, and if, if you can say it's a sitcom, which it kind of is, as a kid growing up, the young ones was the pinnacle for me. Yeah, as the breakthrough a, comedy, um, wasn't it? It was, it was massive, and I, I, um, I mean, every generation has it. The generation before had Python. Yeah. You know, the young ones just, I was. What was I? I mean, was it 80, 81? So I was 13, 14 when it came on to the scene and it was like nothing else. Um, and it, I, I just loved it. And it was that classic thing of you watched it on a Monday night and you came to school on the Tuesday and you spent all day reciting lines from it. And it's what kids have done. Yeah. You know, Rally G and where, you know, the, the, every generation's had its show. Uh, Vic and Bob, there was a generation of kids who quoted you know, verbatim, line after line, in the playground the next morning. Um, and for me, it was um, the young ones. I was very, very lucky to work with uh, Rick on the first series of, uh, Rick Mail on the first series of um, uh, Man Down that I did. Yes, yes. One of your many credits, uh, Man Down with um, Greg Davis. Yeah. 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 It, was, it, was, it was delightful. I, I did the, I, I, it was a, do you know what? It's actually as a, as a job. It was. It's one of the most enjoyable jobs I've ever done. Okay. Because, um, and it, I mean, that's nearly eight years ago we shot that, and it was just a very lovely bunch of people putting it together. Greg, Greg's just charming. It was his first big break. I mean, he'd been on the telly a lot, and he'd done We Are Clang, but this was his baby. He'd written it, and you know, and actually the part he plays, the school where we shot it, is where he talks. I mean, because he was a teacher. He was a th- yeah, a former teacher, wasn't so, he? Yeah, so we went back to his school and that drama, the drama class scenes are in the classroom where he used Amazing. to speak and all the rest of it. Um, but it was just a really nice atmosphere on set, a really nice crew. I made some life. I mean, it's weird because, you know, you, you, you're forever meeting new groups of people when you're filming because you're you're all thrust together and you do three or four months in a job and you're everybody's best buddy and you know everything about each other for four months. And sometimes you will never work with those people again, you you know, because there are all these different groups all working around, you know, everybody's doing it. Um, but actually, um, Man Down was one of those jobs where everybody has sort of stayed in contact and it was almost like a badge of honour to do that series. I think everybody just had such a lovely time on it. and and. For me to work on it with with Rick was because um, I did the pilot and he was in the pilot, um, but actually to have a proper chance to have a proper chat with him, yeah, uh, yeah, one of those opportunities. It was just the right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and interrupt him during a t- during no, of course scenes, but there was a moment where he was sat down on set and I just went and sat next to him and we. Well, in fact, what he it was so funny because he. Uh, 
to the people listening, I don't have any hair on my head, I'm, I'm pretty bald. Um, but from the back, Rick thought I looked like Abe Edmondson. He got the and Abe he, look, yeah. He, double, he sort of did a double take, he just thought I was Abe, and that's what broke the ice. And then we started chatting, and then I just had to pour it all out and say, Oh, Rick, I'm sure you get told a million times, but you know, I grew up with the young ones and blah. Oh. And he yeah. was so delightful and lovely. And I've got a lovely uh, selfie that the two of us. Absolute cry and shame, though, when he um, when he passed away so prematurely. I mean, we were all set to do series two, and we were myself, the director. There was a few of us working on the second series of a thing called Big School with David Walliams. Oh yeah, I remember that. Was Catherine um, Tate? Catherine Tate. Yeah. I designed. You know, I I took over the design. The original designer was a designer called David Hitchcock, and I took over the designing of the second series. And we were on our last, it was literally like the last week and um, there was a call on the Monday and it was from production and um, they said, I've got some really bad news, Rick's passed away. And, and we were all literally due to finish on Big School Friday and start on Man Down 2 on the Monday. So of That's... course that didn't happen and um, it got delayed and delayed and in, in the end pushed to the end of the year. And, and so a lot of us who were going through it never did anymore and we would have definitely gone on to series two. Yeah, that's a crying yeah, shame. Was one, you know, but uh, yeah, it was it was really really sad. I nearly um, I got asked. Uh, I've got the script actually. They there was a there was a talk of doing a follow up to Bottom with Aidan Rick. I heard of this. Yeah. Um, I won't say what it's called because I don't know how much is out there. But I've got the script for it, and I I was asked by um, Ed By, who's the director. Uh, to to look at it with a view to maybe doing it, and sadly it exists as a script that I still have, and a and and, and a couple of sketches. That's as far as we got. With That's it. incredible because I I remember yeah I remember there was something out there in the mainstream that they were talking about doing bottom as old gits in maybe in a care home or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Aid Emerson had a change of heart and said, I don't want to do a, a sitcom about old gets to this it's this early and we can't be silly anymore at this age we'll have to wait till and yeah. if um i guess something controversial i'm going to say i prefer bottom to young to, to the young ones personally oh. i adore but I, I really love young ones but i much prefer bottom yeah. i think i prefer rick mauer's richie in that in the veiny yes. displays I, that's just a preference but i know it feels like the majority would say the young ones but for me bottom yeah. Yeah, I, love I remember it. Bottom being recorded at the BBC because I remember going in to TC8 and seeing the Hampstead Heath set in the studio, which basically was a whole, you know, Heath built in front of the studio audience. So that would have been 90, probably around the time of One Foot then, 90. Yeah. Maybe well, they both, um, both 1990, I think. Oh, well, certainly One Foot. Oh, uh, okay. Because I, I was, although I did a lot in that time I was at the BBC, I was only there from 89 to 93. So there was that four year, three and a half, four year period where I was basically doing a lot of B, all BBC shows. But after 93, I, I you know, I only ever went back with independent production companies. The first time I went back was to do the Smell of Reason Mortimer, which would have been 95. 90, yeah, 90. At sort of the height of the Shooting Stars um, show they did. Shooting Stars had started 
I think it was series was it two. just before? So, Smell was 94 or 95 we recorded it down in Hastings. So, but I don't think, and we did the all the sketches and all the uh, location filming. I never did the studio stuff. The studio stuff was done at London Studios. Right. Okay. And yeah. Filming inserts. There's the Master Chef scene, which is probably one of the most famous scenes. <laughs> that was done at the BBC Studios. Yeah. That was one of the ones I did. Uh, I did all the sleigh goat camping episodes, all that stuff we shot down in Hastings. Uh, and then what else did we do? The two French farting French guys. <laughs> I haven't watched it, for, watched it for many years. I'd have to... Mulligan and O'Hare. We did some Mulligan and O'Hare down in Hastings. Um, but yeah, the MasterChef one is the one that everybody remembers. And that was done at, that was done at TCA, where we shot um, One Foot. That was done in the same studio. So um, I think the final thing I want to talk about, um, why do you think One Foot in the Grave seemingly doesn't get the plaudits it deserves in this day and age. It just, that could just be classed as an opinion, but it really, and it's something I talk about with pretty much every guest I have on, that it's not spoken about enough. It's not out there. It's on BritBox, which is great. I wish it was on Netflix because you'd get a new generation of viewer probably, or viewers who haven't watched it for years rediscover it. Why isn't it? What is it about One Foot that doesn't get the credit it deserves in this day and age? It just doesn't. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I, I think you, you sort of hinted at it where it's the, I think, it, I hate to say it, it's probably mm. a little bit of the age of the two principal characters. I think the BBC around that time were doing keeping up appearances. Would that have been? Around about the same era, yeah. In time. Yeah. It was a very archetypal old lady sitcom you know yeah and one foot there was ever decreasing circles which although a bit more melancholy was still an older Mm. sitcom um i i think it just suffers because of when it was made not necessarily because of you're absolutely right i think if you say Victor's character is the same as the father's character in Fraser, for example, there are parallels there. I, you know, Fraser is repeated on Channel 4, whatever it's repeated on, you know, I, I just think it's, I think it's a victim of when it was made. I think that might be the reason. Some of it is to do with, the, like you said, the time it was released. I think if it's released in internet era, internet age, obviously like a lot of things will get coverage. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think it's an, the age factor. Maybe a certain generation, it wouldn't appeal to them just if they saw a brief trailer with a studio laughter track. It, it, it's just, yeah. times have moved on, haven't they, I suppose? I suppose. I mean, maybe that's the deal with, with One Foot. It, it, it's, has it dated very well? I mean, it, if you look at Patrick on that computer, that's a very. Oh my God. <laughs> the phone they've got this hands-free phone but it's the size of a small country it's it's you know it, it's, it's the re- it's the references that victor makes he's he's when i'm re-watching these episodes i have to go on wikipedia or just go who is he t-? i laugh at his one-liner and he'll go 
he'll reference an MP from the 50s or or someone in ent- pop culture entertainment from 50s, 60s that I'm just not quite familiar with. Yeah. It's still funny, but I still want keen to know who the hell is he on about? Were you were you, you quite about to lose the track in your podcast? And I couldn't believe you didn't know who that was. <laughs> I have to be honest, sometimes I just I just don't know who he's on about. Um other times that's definitely a generational thing because I got to, to lose the track and there was um there was a comedian who used to do that thing with standing and I don't know who it was, it might have even been Morecambe and Wise did a sketch. Who, and, who who's Morecambe and Wise? Um, I'm joking, I'm just joking there. Uh, uh, silly joke, silly podcast joke for you. Podcast joke. Um, the performers on their knees with their shoes where their knees are and walking around on their knees with their short legs and they were to lose the track. And I have a, I have an image of that being in the 70s as being a really funny sketch by some 70s comic or or something and so yeah that's the sort of thing we did in the playground i think pretending we were even shorter than we were by putting our knees knee height with a so obviously indirectly heard of it but not probably didn't know the source of it but and that is definitely an age thing that you know you're 30 whatever and i'm 50 whatever and i know who to lose the track (laughs) you don't i mean were you um did you watch One Foot before you worked on the show? Did you, were you obviously uh, I aware? Have, I might have watched a couple of episodes. I mean, it's the it's a great thing. And I would have watched them. I might have even been given a video. Do you know what a video is? I know. I know what a Betamax is. I know what a cassette tape yeah, is. Yeah. But I can't remember being an ardent fan. I remember it being on. And I, yeah. I might have seen a couple of episodes. I mean, when I did... Um, when I did EastEnders, the great thing about doing something like EastEnders, which, you know, now when I did it is 20 years ago, 20 or so years ago, you know, it's on two or three times a week. Um, so your research is there when you walk in, you know, when you walk in through the front door. Yeah, um, yeah. But obviously one foot would have was a seasonal thing. So, yeah, I might have been given a VHS to watch of a couple of episodes. Uh, and I would have been aware, culturally, I would have been aware of it. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I've had an absolute ball listening to you uh, talk about everything from your point of view as a production designer. And um, have you got much in the pipeline, obviously, after Life 3? Is there anything else? I think yeah, you mentioned something, got, Daisy, uh, Daisy May Cooper of this country. Yes, Is that... yeah, we, well, fingers crossed. Um, there's a series, I, I, I can mention it because I think it has, there's been a press release about it. We're, there's a series that we were going to do pre-lockdown. In fact, we were doing as lockdown was announced in March, uh, I think called The Witch Finder, uh, okay. starring Daisy May Cooper. And it's it's set in, it's it's um, 1600s, Witch Finder General. Uh, it's a period comedy. Um, yeah. And it's written by the guys that write Partridge, the Gibbon Brothers. Um, we've just okay. I've just finished doing um, second series of this time with Alan Partridge. Just finished that before Christmas, so that will be out maybe the end of the year, probably beginning of next year. And so, Witchfinder might well they, it, they're, they're talking about you know trying to get up to speed and doing it. So that hopefully will happen this year. Um, Afterlife, I've got dates for that. That's sometime soonish. I don't know at the moment. I I um. Being self-employed, being freelance, you never really know. No, no. Around the corner, um, I've had a couple of inquiries already this 
you know, this year with a couple of things. Um, there's a mate of mine who's at film school, who's a director, um, mentioned something to me that, that might be happening towards the latter part of this year. You know, you just don't know. You just... No, that's true. I mean, you're... coming really. Uh, yeah. You just try and be busy. And, you know, last year tested all of us. You know, I had five months without any work. Um, was very fortunate this time last year. I was doing a little uh, one of those ever myth things for Sky. Started the year, and I did a Rose uh, Matafeu DVD. Uh, HBO, sorry, it was a HBO um, thing. And then we were on Witchfinder lockdown, and then I finished the year with um, last year with uh, a thing called Intelligence on Sky. Second series of a thing called Intelligence. The David Schwimmer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've I read up on it, and uh, that's that's pretty good. Um, it's pretty good really going. good. It's really funny. Nick Mohammed uh, wrote it with David, but Nick's the main writer. Um, absolutely brilliant. Nick is charming. Just the nicest, one of the nicest people I've met in the business. Really, really lovely. Lovely. Uh, David's delightful. Didn't have that much to do with him, but what yeah. I did, you know, a few yeah. times I met him. He was very delightful. Um, so we did that coming out of lockdown. So August we shot that, um, awesome. and uh, all went very well. Obviously, different way of working. Everybody wearing masks, and you know, and I, as a production designer, wasn't allowed on set, which is most unusual. Um, was able to get the set in and going at the stop, top and tail of the day, but not during the day when they're recording. You know, because of trying to keep social distancing and the crew were treated as one kind of giant bubble and yeah there was kind of 40 members of the crew cast and crew that were tested and then us others were allowed to go into the studio at different times and but we weren't yeah. tested so yeah there's lots of lots of things by the way but you know the, the world has been you know the the the, uh, the entertainment world particularly music theater been shafted, haven't you? Know, everything has been royally shafted. Yeah. And, and everything's been knocked back to front. So mm. there's a lot of things starting up at the moment. I'm, you know, on the various Facebook groups I'm on, there's lots of people, you know, getting things together for things to start happening. But also this new lockdown that was announced a week or so ago, I think things have been pushed back a month because everybody's not entirely sure how it's going to pan out and what might be around the corner. Yeah. Um, I, I heard on the grapevine, um, Redwick announced last year through some medium, I don't know, that he was thinking of doing a one foot in the grave stage show. So, oh, really? like, Redwick had announced, I don't know, oh, officially. Okay. did you hear about that? The no, stage? no, no, nothing about that. But uh, hopefully you, you get a gig with that one because that'd be pretty nice reading. <laughs> I don't suppose David would know who I was if I was to walk up. Mind you, wearing a mask at the moment. I'd probably well, it'd be tricky to. Yeah, he might. He might say, "Right, Mr. Edmondson, how are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, very good. Yeah. Well, that 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 would that would be nice. That'd be nice. Bizarrely, the one thing I'd love to do, and I, um, although my 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 kind of first love was theatre, and I've done been very fortunate to do. You mentioned all those stand-up shows that I've done. Well, most of those have taken place on London stages and. And yep. one of the comic reliefs I did, I did at the Palladium. So I've been very fortunate to do quite a lot of West End theatres with telly jobs. Yes, yes. And TV shows. I've never done a theatre job. And I, I, would, I would love to, you know, I would love to do one just to say I've 
you know, I've done it, whether that was a play or... Um, yeah. I mean, telly and film is, you know, is where I'm at and I'm very, very happy with that. But I would, I would, um, I would like to do one, one yes. theatre show in its true sense, you know. Um, I, I wonder if you would be up for the Only Fools and Horses musical uh, stage show. <laughs> Continue. If they approached you with that, what would you say? It's a job, oh, it's a job it's isn't a job. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that did really well was that the haymarket wasn't it, it was yeah bloody good. I, I, I went down twice um it really yeah. good yeah really good to be fair um but you know yeah it's a job isn't it so if, it, if you were ever approached i suppose I mean, i'm really lucky actually i think there's i would say the bulk of the jobs i've done have been things that i would want to watch and um, i don't I, and i'm very fortunate that a lot of what i do is comedy and i you know by complete fluke i seem to have ended up working with some proper comedy giants i mean yeah yeah you know lately. amazing wow very 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 lucky i feel very blessed uh that 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 is the case and you know long way that continued but so I, yeah i'm quite lucky that most of what i do i happen to find you know entertaining and you know enjoyable amazing. i did the first series of staff and um Staffletts Flats, which um, I was so pleased that that got the credit it deserved BAFTA's second yeah. series. I did the second series. I wasn't available to the Partridge and one another. But because um, uh, doing the first series, you very, very obvious just how brilliant Jamie was and, and what a really nice man he was as well. And um, really, really pleased for him. Really pleased for him. And I think there's possibilities of a third series um, now, I think, because of the success of series two and also him getting a BAFTA, I think they sort of thought, oh, maybe there's another another series in this. So, oh, okay. Um, that's awesome. That. I think that's been announced. I think, there's, I think they've mentioned that there's a third series going to happen. Of oh, wow. That's good. That's, uh, it's, it's great, you know, in, in these times when they're still uh, just looking to the future, just not letting things stop. They're just going to keep plugging away. It was really good. Well, that, I mean, that was Rough Cut um, Productions who did that, and they do uh, People Just Do Nothing is one of theirs as well. You know, they're really good at finding that, you know, that kind of talent. The uh, the show I mentioned to you, Jerk, um, that's one of theirs as well. They're, they're just very good at finding, you know, good people, you know, or, or they put their faith in. Um, I mean, I know Jamie, it took him five, six, seven years to get off the ground you know so he really worked at it you know it wasn't oh. yeah it's, it doesn't happen overnight does it no um well well i can say thank you for coming on to the podcast and it will serve the listeners i've really well um this show does uh, thrive by having guests and you've definitely served us up a treat um great insight knowledge to you know a typical working day and you've given us some absolute gems um, I do want people who are listening to um, follow Richard on his Twitter. You're at Dickie Drew and you've got a couple of Instagrams. Do you want to give them both out or just the one out? Yeah, go for it. So it's at Our Man in Cairo, Our Man in C-A-I-R-O, and it's at The Scale Ruler. The Scale Ruler. That's quite a clever handle, that one, because I just envisage you're always using pencils and rulers for your uh, measurements and your designs is that yes, where it stemmed yes, from am yes. i is that yeah That's, i got it i mean i'm 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 very old-fashioned because i'm 
that generation that learned the BBC way with a pencil and a scale ruler, whereas now it's all computers. I mean, I've got young people that I call on uh, to, you know, I'll draw it in pen and pencil and hand it over to a young person to convert it to a computer drawing. But um, I, there's something about the tactile. Yeah, yeah. Pen and pencil. And Amman in Cairo was, um, was basically um, Amman in Havana. It was a, just a, it just sounded good. Lovely. Well, make sure. I've never been to Cairo, and I really, <laughs> when this is all over, I would love to visit. First, Egypt. that's the first flight you'll book. Um, that is the first flight I'm booking. Well, I hope listeners also follow me at One Foot in the Pod. Just thanks for giving up your time, Richard, and uh, we'll definitely be keeping in touch. I will definitely be hassling you, and you've sent loads of photos, which I will share and credit yourself with because they're really interesting, especially some of the close-up shots of. Um, the 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 Meldrew's kitchen and uh, the bedrooms and it's just it's very it's something like I said you mesmerising about seeing a photo of a set without anyone in it and it's just obviously when the cameras have stopped rolling and you just see this the shell of not even the shell but everything to uh, to detail of of the show you love but it's just you know it's taken outside of shooting hours and it's just it's weird, but yeah, it's it's, it's a yeah. treat. I, I love seeing these kind of, and they're quite hard. The very um, studio photo shots are quite rare to come by. I find I I, I did never. You, um, really... Did you see that thing when Zoom stuff went back in the first lockdown? Somebody, I think the BBC did it. There were Zoom backgrounds, and there was a whole load of they 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 pulled up a load of studio sets from the BBC archive. And they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. There was a whole load of oh. sets. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't um, think I come across that. And they were they were sort of touted is the wrong word. I think they were kind of promoted as oh, you can choose your own Zoom background. So there was some entertainment shows, but they had the Only Fools set. I think the Heidi High set was in there. I think they had Blankety Blank. There was a there was about twenty or thirty different sets. Wow. And they were set stills like those ones I've got on one foot. Yeah, but you don't get you don't get the the detailed photographs like you've got like these that. You kindly share. So these photos are what we call reset photographs. So um, we're going backwards. Actually, sorry, I'm talking again. Right? <laughs> That's right. But, but basically, um, the set doesn't stay standing for six weeks in the studio. It goes in and out each week because there are other shows. So everybody's juggling the studio space. So each time it goes back in, it has to be set exactly the same. So the plan is where that bit comes in and the drawing and, the, and where all the measurements are and it fits exactly where it is. But the photographs are to make sure that the furniture goes back in the same place and all right, the okay. on the counter. So that's why you get all the detailed photographs because they're resets of generally the small props. It's all about the detailed stuff. Awesome. And it's also a kind of, it's a bit like a checklist. It's like, have we got that sofa? Have we got that? We yeah, got it makes that? sense. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a tick. It's more than just a keepsake. You, you, you do need it for the continuity and stuff. I interrupt this podcast to say that during the recording of this show, I forgot to ask Richard for his Meldry Moan. So here is Richard's Meldry Moan. Oh, I do not Will you look at this? Bastards! Can you believe the nerve of this? A skin. 
My Meldrew moan is why is it so awkward and uncomfortable to pay for anything at a BP petrol station when all you want to do is go in and buy something from the Wild Bean Cafe. You stand there, you never know which queue you're meant to be in or whether you can go straight to the counter of the Wild Bean Cafe or you have to queue for petrol at the Wild and then go to the Wild Bean Cafe. And there's always that awkward moment when you kind of walk over to the counter with your baguette and they say, oh no, you've got to go and queue at the till with the petrol. It drives me absolutely bonkers that surely there is a simpler way of doing it. It's been a lot of fun. Well, Richard, thank you very much for your time. Take good care and keep in touch and make sure you follow Richard's Instagram and Twitter, everyone. Richard, all the best to you. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much.